Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Native veterans will don uniforms and regalia this month at events to honor their service. Veterans Day is officially tomorrow, but there are gatherings, ceremonies, and vigils throughout the month. Today we'll hear from veterans and event organizers about the importance of recognizing Native veterans. We'll also hear about what the military does well and what it can do to be more responsive to this group of Americans who sign up to serve their country more than any other. We're back after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Mashantucket Pequot Tribal Nations Farm in Connecticut is thriving since its establishment eight years ago. Back then, the land was a largely unused wooded area near the reservation. Edwin J. Vieira has an update. Mishanook Farm is home to livestock and several greenhouses growing a bevy of crops. Tribe Agricultural Director Jeremy Whipple spearheaded the project, and this year, the University of Connecticut Extension helped establish a youth engagement group for agricultural training. Whipple says the training's focus is to strengthen the tribal community and establish self-sufficiency. Trying to get the membership and everybody on the same page on growing and, you know, bringing back our traditional roots for gardening and our culture. One aim is to teach the importance of good nutrition to members of the tribe dealing with health issues. The U.S. Department of Agriculture has funded the project for an additional four years due to its success. Whipple says he hopes to expand the farm and will apply for grants to add a meat processing facility and an event space for classes. For now, though, Whipple and his cohort of farmers are looking to add more greenhouses. While some of the food grown at Mishanook Farm is sold, most of it goes to a tribal food assistance program. Right now, we have 180 members that are signed up for the program, and the grant reimburses the farm $70 a box that we give out. So that's how, you know, the USDA actually compensates us for feeding the community healthy food. Members of the tribe receive a box of vegetables every two weeks during the growing season. This is Edwin J. Vieira. This story was produced with original reporting from Janice Roman for WSHU. The movie adaptation of David Grant's book, Killers of the Flower Moon, premiered a few weeks ago. It examines the reign of terror, the mass murder of the Osage Nation in Oklahoma during the 1920s for oil money. KUNC's Emma Van Denindy reports on what some Osage people have to say about the film. Many Osage people were impressed with how director Martin Scorsese reflected Osage culture in the movie. Not only did he choose to film in Oklahoma, but he met with tribal members to ensure cultural accuracy, from the clothing to the language. Some Osage people, like Colorado resident Tink Tinker, would have liked Scorsese to portray the movie from an indigenous perspective. Unfortunately, he's a white man who's working with white money and selling a movie to a largely non-native audience so that he couldn't take the risk of putting the Osages in the center of the stage. It's not the only criticism the movie has received. Some think the nearly three-and-a-half-hour movie is too long. But Tinker and other Osage people are happy the story is finally being shared, as many Americans are unaware. Jay Kilby Reed, another Colorado Osage member, says he'd often tell his family's history to friends and be met with skepticism. I've had so many people that have texted me and been like, this Leonardo DiCaprio movie, is this the story you were telling me years ago? And I'm like, yes. This movie is part of a recent rise in indigenous stories and creators in the spotlight. But Jeffrey Standing Bear, 
the principal chief of the Osage tribe, says action is key to keep lingering racism at bay. If you don't say nothing, if you just sit back there and watch it, you're complicit in murder. You're complicit in what's going on. you got to understand this is a true story, and it can happen again. Standing Bear, along with other Osage people, hope this movie will serve as a catalyst for others to learn more about their history. For National Native News, I'm Emma Vandenindy. U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski, vice chair of the U.S. Senate Committee on Indian Affairs, is holding a field hearing in Bethel, Alaska, Friday on the impact of salmon declines on Alaska Native communities along Arctic Yukon and Kuskokwim Rivers. The hearing will be followed by a listening session. It will be streamed online and broadcast on KYUK. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Vision Maker Media, envisioning a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. 45 plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org. Support by Drummond Woodsum a full-service law firm whose nationally recognized tribal nations practice provides services to tribal nations and their enterprises and to companies that do business with tribes across the country. More at dwmlaw.com. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The high number of veterans in Native families and communities means honoring their service is a big event throughout the year, but especially for Veterans Day this weekend. In this hour, we're taking a look at a handful of programs and events that celebrate Native veterans. Those include powwows and ceremonies, commemorative horseback rides, and in one case, taking veterans to the Native Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C. Also, we'll hear about an ongoing effort to build and display a digital archive of Native pictures and memorabilia that veterans and their families hold dear. Please join us. How are you and your community honoring and celebrating Native veterans this month? Call 1-800-996-2848 to share insights and tell us about the veteran in your family. We're also at 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us from Durham, North Carolina now is Raquel Painter. She is the president of United Way of Onslow County, North Carolina. She served in the U.S. Marines for 26 years. She was North Carolina's 2021 Female Veteran of the Year, and she is an enrolled member of the Winnebago Tribe of Nebraska and a Santee Sioux descendant. Raquel, welcome to Native America Calling, and thank you for your service. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to be here and definitely a pleasure to serve. Joining us from Antelope Valley, Nevada, is Truckee Bob Tilton. He was a corpsman with the 7th Marine Corps in Vietnam, served two tours of duty. He's Pyramid Lake Paiute. Welcome, Bob. Thank you for your service as well. Good morning. I'm happy to be here. Well, actually, I'm honored to be here, and I always serve my country, knowing it was also for my people. It's wonderful to have you, Bob, and it's an honor to have you as well. 
And joining us from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, is Marianne Parker. She's the curatorial specialist at the First Americans Museum. She's Kiowa from the Kiowa Tribe of Oklahoma. Hi, Marianne. It's great to have you on the show, too. Hi, thanks for having me. And I want to thank uh, the both other two on the line for their service and for having me and joining. Absolutely. Absolutely. Raquel, we're going to go ahead and start with you today. Now, you just got done organizing a veterans powwow in Onslow County, the third year for that event. When did you first have this idea of a veterans powwow? Well, it actually came to me when I was on active duty, you know, being um, stationed throughout the country and throughout the world, there was really nothing for Native veterans. Um, You know, as most know, we sacrifice so much as Natives to serve our country, you know, mainly starting with the cutting of our hair. Um, But when we're serving, you know, we just can't go out and buy a fry bread out in town. I can't put on my regalia and dance in the circle when I want to because those resources just aren't around bases. So that's when I thought, well, you know, I'm going to start my own powwow right outside of the gates of North Carolina, right outside the largest Marine Corps base on the East Coast. (laughs) And that's where it started. Right there at Camp Lejeune then, right outside the gates. Yes, yes, right outside the gates. So largest um, Marine Corps base on the East Coast, and we're only an hour and a half from the largest Army base. So it was a great location to do that. we got a huge veteran population here um, in North Carolina. Um, so it was just an opportune time and um, a great location to do that. So we actually had our first Onslow Veterans Powwow um, three years ago. So as soon as COVID was winding down, um, we had the first powwow and it was a, a success and has been for the last three. Now, how many days? Is it a one-day powwow or a multi-day? And about how many Uh, attendees? Yeah, so it is a multi-day. So it kicks off Friday, but it's only really for our active duty um, Native Americans to come out. We hold a welcome dinner and also um, an inipi. So we sweat for those who don't have the opportunity to. And then we um, hold the powwow Saturday and Sunday. Um, so it's an all-day event on Saturday, and then Sunday, it's, um, we wrap things up about 5 p.m. And drums and dancers, uh, oh do they my come God, from yeah. far away? From all over. Um, this year, we had um, different tribes within North Carolina be the drums. Um, we had vendors from as far away as Arizona, um, New Mexico, New York, um, and then the dancers um, came from all over, really the eastern North Carolina. We had the um, Winnebago's um, veterans, Powwow Princess, come out and be um, part of the royalty here. So we were very honored to have that. Because of um, for those who don't know, Winnebago Tribe of Nebraska has the longest running veterans powwow. Um, and they just celebrated their 157th. Um, veterans powwow this past summer. Wow, congratulations. Yes. In the powwow that you have uh, there in Onslow County, North Carolina, um, any plans to expand it in the coming years? You know, we are. We definitely want to incorporate the waterways. Um, So 
my daughter, she's um, going to Duke University. She's getting her PhD in hydrology. So she's really all about the waterways and water conservation. So she did a test run this year to do a paddle to include it in the powwow. So we invited the local tribe here um, in North Carolina. They came and participated. So we just figured it's a good way to incorporate the water and the tribes and um, do a paddle every year in conjunction with the powwow. So we're excited to to start that one um, next year. And really, the powwow has really grown. We had um, 7,000 spectators this year. Wow. At the powwow, and yes, and it was only the third year, the third year doing it. A lot of participation from the bases. Um, our head veteran, head lady, and head man dancer were all active duty service mm-hmm. members from Camp Lejeune. Raquel, I'm really impressed by by everything you're describing, but <laughs> I don't understand. Where do you find the time for this? Because I know you're heading up the United Way, you're doing this powwow, uh, you led an Onslow Strong Disaster Recovery Alliance, you work in programs to prevent child abuse, you're active in, in the civic and, and local business community. How do you manage it all? Oh my gosh, you know my motto is life is too short. <laughs> I could do a lot of sleeping <laughs> once I cross over. <laughs> so I really want to do as much as I can while I can. Um, So stuff that I'm passionate about or, um, I don't know, I just find the energy to do it. But I think most importantly, my family really pitches in and helps out where they can. And the Marine Corps, do you think you learned uh, some of this discipline and this this work ethic uh, having served for, what, uh, 20 years, 26 years? 26 years, oh, most definitely, most definitely. I spent my whole adult life in the Marine Corps. started out as just a private when I was, you know, 18 years old. And then I retired at the highest enlisted rank, you know, as a SAR major. Um, And one thing is obviously um, the females only make 6% of the Marine Corps. And for me to be a Native American female obtaining the highest rank by, oh my God, that's probably one of my greatest honors is to represent our, our Native history with that, just being a leader of Marines that I was um, able to lead um, in combat in Iraq and Afghanistan. Raquel, Native Americans have the highest per capita participation in the military than any other group. And and when you serve, do you feel that the military acknowledges that uh, for for Native active service members and veterans as well? Do you think that the the military makes an effort to, to provide services or just an acknowledgement of the tremendous contributions that Native people have made to the armed forces? Um, You know, when I was serving, I didn't see it as much as I would like to have saw it. Um, I know, you know, in November, you know, it's Native American um, Heritage Month, so they really do something for that, but not to the extent that I think our Native American service men and women need. Um, especially when you think about those who can't go home to participate in their culture or their ceremonies, um, whether it's duty commitments, deployments, or even funding, um, can't make it home. So um, if they don't make it home, there's nothing at the basis for them as far as to um, embrace their culture and traditions. So I think it's lacking in that aspect, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to make sure I brought at least a powwow to them. Raquel, tell me more about 
when you first enlisted? I know you were 17 years old, right out of high school. Mm-hmm. How was your family? Were they supportive of, of your goals? Oh, my goodness. Um, I tell you what, when I first wanted to join the Marine Corps, I was in the second grade. Um, people always like, well, second grade, how did you know? Um, it was one of those career days, and, you know, my classmate's dad was a Marine, but when he walked in to our classroom in second grade, and you can imagine second graders are just chitty-chatty, you know, just talking, talking, talking. <laughs> it got so quiet, you could hear a pin drop in there. And I was like, wow, we're all transfixed on this guy walking in with his dress blues, and um, he stood in the room and talking, and no one said nothing. I said, that's what I want. I want that. I want to walk in the room and everybody stop and pay attention. So it just stayed with me. And when I was in second grade, obviously it was cute, right? Oh, yeah, she's going to grow up to be a Marine. But when I did, (laughs) um, my mom had no problem signing the papers. It was my dad. He was like, no way. (laughs) Um, He had seven daughters, mind you, seven daughters. (laughs) And I was the second to the youngest. And um, I'm the only one who went into the military. But um, it took the recruiter three times to come to my house before he would sign the papers. And he only signed it because my mom made him sign it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he was being being a protective father for sure. Seven daughters. He was. Wow. Yes, yes. We're going to go ahead and take a break now. And uh, let's get some calls going here. Let's hear from some folks out there in the community Tell us about uh, the veterans in your family, or if you're a veteran yourself, uh, tell us a little bit about your time, either active military military or as a retired military uh, person. Just give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. The state of Louisiana just denied adding two more tribes to a list of 15 that already have state recognition. The process has drawn criticism for a lack of clarity on what tribes need to achieve recognition status. We'll check in with Louisiana tribes and others for a look at different requirements for state recognition. That's on the next Native America Calling. The Association on American Indian Affairs welcomes all to Tribal Museums Day, December 2nd through the 10th. Tribal museums may offer no-cost or reduced admission, art markets, and cultural demonstrations. Tribal Museums Day honors Native nations as the experts of their diverse cultures. A map of tribal museums and more is available at indian-affairs.org slash tribalmuseumsday. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this show. You're listening to Native America Calling. We're talking with folks about what they're doing to honor and celebrate Native veterans and their community. What's happening where you live this Veterans Day? Let us know at 1-800-996-2848. You're also welcome to call in and give a shout out to the veteran in your family, 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's talk now with Bob Tilton, who is a Vietnam veteran, 7th Marine Corps uh, Pyramid Lake Paiute. Bob, thank you again for joining us. And let's talk a little bit more about this honor flight that you helped organize for Native veterans back in 2016. I know it's been a few years, but what can you tell us about the experience? All right. Thank you for having me on, Sean. Uh, it was a very emotional, honoring experience. Uh, it was difficult to put together. Um, 
I'm an elder, and most you had to be 50 years or older to qualify for the flight. And it was put on by the Nevada Honor Flight Organization, headed up by John Yuspa, who was the president and founder. He worked for one of the airlines and thought it would be a great idea to take veterans back to Washington to see the various memorials and meet some of their delegates and things of that nature. And he'd been doing it for several years, and he, I was, um, I'm the retired president of the Silver Lake Veterans and Lawyers Organization, and we're pretty visible around the state doing ceremonies, uh, powwows, we carry in the colors for funerals and uh, dedications to properties and things of that nature for the state. So he came to me and asked me if I would be interested in putting together a group of 50 all-Native veterans to be honored back in Washington. And I told him, absolutely, not knowing how difficult that was going to be. I volunteered to help him get those 50 people. And it took us a couple months. Uh, coming back from Vietnam, as a lot of people know, we weren't well received. And many of us went into the closet. Many of us that lived on reservations just pretty much stayed there. And so when I approached, especially the Vietnam vets, uh, they had never experienced any form of honorance, and they were a little reluctant. Um, thinking back what happened to them when they came back from Vietnam. Anyway, we finally achieved the 50-person goal, and we it was a nonstop flight from Reno, Nevada, to Maryland, and uh, they, it cost us absolutely nothing. Um, people donate uh, for the tribe, for the members on the honor flight for their their seat and their hotel and their meals and everything. So it didn't cost us a penny. And we got back there and we had we stayed in a hotel and we had dinner and we had made uh, native wreath. They had asked us if we would honor the Vietnam Wall for its 50-year anniversary by placing a, a native wreath on it. So we made a wreath out of elk skin, and we had a 100-year-old arrow with obsidian pierced through it, and we had medicine wheel on it, and then we all signed it. And it, it was presented at the wall in their 50-year ceremony. Two of our honor flight people carried the wreath, and we marched up there on the wall. And most of us were Vietnam vets, so it was very emotional. Many of us had ever been to the wall. Mm. And it was they, the way they did it is they put us on a bus, and we had two of our spiritual elders with us who smudged the bus all the members and the helpers and the police escort prior to leaving. And when we went all through Washington, they would be in the lead and stop the traffic. We never had to stop for any stop signs or traffic lights. I, I never experienced anything like that. We were honored above and beyond. 
And we went to each memorial. We got to go to Arlington Cemetery, and they fixed it so we could go see Ira Hayes' gravesite. And uh, being a member of the Marine Corps at the time, I thought that was just fantastic. I joined the Navy, but they put me in the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps doesn't have medical personnel, and so I was a combat corpsman taking care of injured vets, oh, Marines. I took really good care of my Marines. And I did two tours. And uh, the honor flight, uh, not to lose track of that, was, so as I understand today, is still the only all-Native honor flight to be put together in this country. The only one. The yeah. Only one. Bob, uh, I know you folks have a website, www.honorflight.org, uh, where we can get more information on the honor flight. And we definitely want to talk uh, more with you about, about your experience as a Native veteran. But we're going to go ahead and take uh, a call. And um, we actually have uh, one person uh, who didn't want to be on the air, Renee in Sandy, Oregon, who would like to give a shout out to her grandfather, who is a Vietnam veteran. And then we have another caller uh, from White River, Arizona, um, who wants to give a shout out to a couple of veterans there, Evander Alchese and Dennis Massey Jr., who are both uh, White River tribal members there in Arizona, Apache folks. So appreciate those callers. And then we have Chanupa, who is actually on the line, listening on Keeley up in Pine Ridge, South Dakota, who would like to acknowledge some Native veterans as well. Hello, Chanupa. Hey, thank you for taking my call, Sean. Wopila to all them guys that serve past and present. And I want to say a Wopila by me listening to my late grandfather, Roy Martin, who was in the First World War when he was stationed over there in Germany with another uncle of mine named Guy Dollknife Sr. And my own biological father who was in the Korean conflict. These two men had urged me never to join the white man's brigade. And this was the reason. Because he, both of my dad and my grandfather said that they will one day turn against the veterans that served to help their people be recognized. Even if it was being recognized as indigenous people. And you know something, Mitakipi? They were right. And today, in the year 2023, November 10th, we're seeing our people being neglected at Vietnam Veterans Affairs, even the, the, the hospitals. They're getting turned away. And I, I myself, I'm a veteran. I'm the Wounded Knee veteran in 1973 when we stood up arms against the federal government for all its illegalities. So I wanted to thank all of you that served past and present, but keep in mind, not all wars are good wars. Wupilatanka for taking my call, Sean, and thank you to everyone that contributed today. And Chanupa, we thank you for your service as well. And uh, Chanupa reiterates what we heard from from Bob uh, a few minutes ago, that uh, it was a tough time for those folks who served in Vietnam when they came home. And I'm old enough to remember that era in the early 1970s and what it was like. And uh, Bob, you know what I thought was interesting as well with Chanupa is he just mentioned uh, his grandfather, a World War One veteran. And uh, boy, that's going back a lot of years. But can you remember in your lifetime knowing some World War One veterans as well? 
Yes, I did. In fact, uh, many of us uh, related to World War One and World War Two when we joined the service. You know, it, it's you, you. They all came home as heroes. Uh, battles. I mean, my first conflict in Vietnam. We were just kids. We were only 18, 19 years old. We made the first amphibious land in Vietnam, and we went in there. We had cameras hanging around our neck. We were going to kick butt. And, uh, we were ambushed, overrun, and we lost. We had tons of casualties, and all of us were scared to death immediately. And they took us out of there made us go back to Jungle Warfare School. Uh, in the Marine Corps, we all learned to march almost butt to butt. You don't do that in the jungle. And we had to learn a lot of things real quick. Mm. And uh, so, but World War One, World War Two, uh, we we really thought that's how, we didn't, we knew we were the first televised war, but we never got to see what was going on back in the state. So when we came home, we expected to get a parade. We expected to be handshaked and welcome home, and, and it was awful. The airports, they were throwing garbage at us and calling us baby killers, and even my own home. I came home, and people were turning their back on me like I had done something wrong. Hmm. So it was not a good experience. Well... Bob, I, I just really appreciate you joining the show today and sharing that experience. And uh, boy, for what it's ever worth, I, I sure do apologize for what you went through, as well as your fellow veterans. And uh, thank you again for your service. And uh, with that, I want to go ahead and bring another guest into our conversation now. Joining us from Little Water, New Mexico, Eloise Brown. She is involved with a Native veterans organization there on the Navajo Nation and the secretary for the Northern Navajo Veterans Organization. She herself is a U.S. Army veteran, and of course she is Danae. Hello, Eloise. Thank you for your service. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you as well, Eloise. Now, you're part of an annual veterans trail ride, horseback, that's underway right now on the Navajo Nation Tell us more about it. Well, the horse ride just ended, and uh, we're at a location outside. We're not inside, and people are eating. They're in line. The band members are eating, and uh, we have state cops here that escorted us through the ride and the parade. And so um, people, some people are leaving, and... Uh, we've got horses that are trying to get some rest before they uh, get take their ride home. Well, it sounds like you're outside. It sounds like it's a little bit windy there. Uh, this just sounds really exciting. How how long is the trail ride? How many miles do you folks ride? Right. Uh, not very long. It's about uh, six miles. And how many horses and riders did you have today? Well, uh, today we only had four riders, and um, but it looks really nice with the flags and everything. In the years past, we had more riders, but um, our neighbors uh, went ahead and uh, put in a different information uh, while they decided to do uh, an event. 
tomorrow. And so I think the ad got um, either pulled or they got mixed up and uh, they were advertising for a different day rather than today. So I think that that might be the reason why um, we didn't get the as many riders as we usually do, but we have a lot of people, which is, I'm, I'm really happy with the turnout and the band will be playing here in a little bit. Well, it sounds like the folks that are there, they're dedicated. Uh, they're happy to be riding. Sounds like a wonderful event. And Eloise, tell us a little bit more about your time in the service. You're a U.S. Army veteran. I really don't like to talk about myself, but I am a U.S. Army veteran and, um, I'm mainly here to um, support all the veterans that are here and um, people that have served and people that have gone on. Our Grand Marshal was um, a late uh, grandfather of ours. His name uh, was, uh, he was a coat talker and his name is Harry Benali and all his family members are here, his children and his wife. And so, um, yeah, we, we did our services and um eloise um i think it's just so fascinating the, the horse ride the trail ride that's just I, I think that's so cool and especially for folks that you know that might not listeners here that that might not come from horse country and tell us a little bit more about what the significance is of of riding on the trail on on horseback as part of veterans day what the significance is? Well, um, we're just uh, ranchers and farmers, and we love to ride horses. And I think it's really neat. Um, uh, so, uh, hold on. All right, Eloise, I'm going to go ahead and uh, and come back to you. Uh, we got time for a caller right now, Bruce, who's listening on KUNM in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Hello, Bruce. You're on the air. Hello there. Um... I'd like to um, give a shout out to all the native veterans in the country. Uh, and I did not serve in the military, but I'd like to give a shout out to my nephew, Manuel Paquin. He just finished 20 years in a commencement service ceremony in San Diego yesterday. And we're all very proud of him. Um, I have several um, relatives. My brother served in the Navy, Neil Paquin. Valentino Paquin served in the, in the Air Force. Henry Mora and Mike Mora served in combat uh, in Vietnam. Uh, George Frauer, he served in Vietnam also. Um, they're deceased. And Marcus Chalon served in the Navy. Um, and my grandfather, Pete Paquin, served in the Navy and Sherman Paquin. And I also have Deshaun Mora from Amos that's serving in the, in, the, in the Marine Corps right now. So I just want to give a shout out to all the veterans and thank you, thank them for their service and their sacrifices. I, I really appreciate you putting me on the air today. We appreciate you too, Bruce, calling in, and uh, we want to thank all of the, the veterans that you mentioned for their service as well. We've got time for one more call before we have to break. Let's take Eva. She's listening in California on KGUA. Eva, you've got about a minute before we got to go to break. Okay. Um, you invited uh, calls from um, 
anyone experiencing world going back to World War One, and which my dad um, was called up for in France, and he told me he threw down his gun. It was uh, rich people could pay uh, poor people to uh, take up their draft notices, and. Um, he didn't say that was the reason why, but he looks like, in his picture that I have, looks like he's about 16 or 17, and um, he was like 20 before he, when he came through Ellis Island. And um, I took that message to heart and have been um, practicing nonviolent as much as I can, you know, learning about it and practicing as much about it as I can. Well, Eva, we really appreciate your call and, and sharing this family history. Your father, a World War One veteran, and uh, wow, wow. And even World War II veterans now, unfortunately, we're losing so many of those folks as well. Not many, uh, many of us know World War II veterans for that matter either. We'll be right back. Does your club, institution, or other group need custom-branded apparel? A wide variety of T-shirts, hoodies, and much more, all custom-printed or embroidered, are available from NativeScreenPrinting.com, a division of Skyscreen Printing who support this program. Support by Penguin Random House, publisher of Blood Sisters by Vanessa Lilly, about a Cherokee archaeologist summoned to rural Oklahoma to investigate the disappearance of two women, one of them her sister. This and other stories at PRH.com slash Stories of the Land. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Veterans Day is Saturday, and we'd like to know how you're honoring and celebrating the Native veterans in your community. Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. Once again, that number, 1-800-996-2848. I'd like to take a moment and pay respect to a Native veteran in my family, uh, my late brother-in-law, Raymond Bly Jr. Raymond Bly Jr. Uh, passed away sadly earlier this year. Marine Corps veteran. Want to give a shout out to him. And with that, uh, let's go ahead and bring Marianne Parker into our conversation now. She is with the First Americans Museum in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Marianne, again, I appreciate you coming on the show today. And you're part of a project that your museum has organized to document memorabilia and related pieces of material and artifacts all related to Native veterans. This sounds super exciting. Tell us more about it. Yeah, thanks again for having me. So we started this project about three years ago, and we invite veterans or families of veterans who have passed on to submit images or documents about their loved ones and their service information, so any medals, any awards that they've won since then. They can um, include that in there, and it's a touchscreen virtual database that they can search inside our galleries um, here on site at the museum. Well, tell us more about the memorabilia that, that people have brought into the museum. So people have brought um, medals that they've won that, um, and pictures. Um, we're really trying to focus more on um, pictures and images. So it's pictures of while their veterans was serving or pictures at, of them being honored at powwows or um, pictures of them and the lo their loved ones at the different types of military balls that they uh, host um, or even picture family pictures with the veteran and, you know, a group photo of their kids, their loved ones all together. I think those ones are pretty much my favorite 
of the the images that they bring. Now and these then we also oh go ahead. No 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 please go ahead continue. Oh and then we also offer a complimentary portraits for the veterans who come in to get taken that day and they get a USB flash drive to take all of their scanned documents and portraits that they take to take home with them. And these digitized versions of pictures and images you're describing, how are they displayed? How could you listeners access these? So they would have to visit the museum right now here in Oklahoma City because um, it's uh, we have two touchscreen databases in our gallery, and it's called the Oklahoma Gallery is our first floor one, and we have a warrior section um, where we kind of highlight um, what the idea of a warrior is, and also we highlight our Native American veterans and all the different types of battles and wars that they fought on, fought in. Now, are, are these mostly images that pertain to Native people in Oklahoma, or do you have uh, memorabilia and pictures from folks outside of Oklahoma, too? So right now, we're just focusing on the 39 tribes here in Oklahoma, and that's how it's searchable for each person is their name, uh, the tribe of the, one of the 39s and also the branch of service that they served in. And Marianne, going through these materials, what have you learned so far about the Native veterans in Oklahoma? Um, I've learned that they're all so different and their, their families and the individuals themselves all have really great stories about when they served, um, how's this been going since then. And I think it's always uh, funny whenever they come in with their wives and they were like, yeah, she made me She made me come. What do I need to do? And it's nice explaining it to them because you can see the excitement on their wives while they're watching them get their stuff scanned or getting their portraits taken. And they're really, we're all really proud. And they are too of the veterans. <laughs> yeah, it just sounds like a whole lot of fun. And, and for visitors to the museum there and uh, they get a chance to search through this database and, and what kind of feedback are you getting? Um, that we need to open this up uh, for all your year-long submissions is really the feedback mostly that we get. But right now we're such a small team that we're just offering this uh, once a year, and we're currently working on some pilot projects to kind of go out in the community to these 39 tribes, to their tribal communities to get more, more veterans involved and more pictures for our database. So we're just slowly trying to build on this and grow our team and the capacities that we have to do this more often than we can now. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like a, a really fascinating project. Now, this is uh, whereabouts in town? Where in Oklahoma City exactly are you folks located? So we're kind of central Oklahoma City. Um, there's big signs, and anybody that comes in, they fly in from the airport. We're 10 minutes from the airport. We're 10 minutes from downtown. And we're right off the, we have a, uh, the Oklahoma River that runs through. We're right off the river. Mm-hmm. And do you have any other displays or, or any other documents or anything pertaining to Native veterans there at the museum besides the, the database we're talking about today? Yeah, so in our Oklahoma gallery, we have a whole warrior section that talks touches on the different wars that um, Native people have been involved with. We talk about code talkers. We mention our war mother societies, um, women in um, who have fought and been part of every major war. Um, it's just a bunch of different things. And then the ideas of what a warrior is, besides um, military warriors, we talk about 
our scientists as warriors. We talk about our teachers, our lawyers and educators and different types of warriors and the ideas of what it is. Okay. And if I'm not mistaken, there were some, uh, some code talkers from some Oklahoma tribes, the Comanche, I believe had code talkers. Um, the Comanches, the Cherokees, the Choctaws, Kiowas, um, a good majority of the tribes here in Oklahoma were code talkers, but not a lot of people know that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, good information, Marianne. Really appreciate you coming on the show today and talking about uh, this exhibit as well as some of the other features that you folks have there at the museum in Oklahoma City, the First Americans mm-hmm. Museum. Thanks, Marianne. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for having me. And, you know, thanks to all those who served, especially my Kiowa veterans and all the veterans here that are indigenous to the United States and other places, too. You bet. You bet. We still got Raquel Painter on the line. And uh, earlier she was telling us about this veterans powwow that she's helped organize in North Carolina, just outside the gates of Camp Lejeune. And uh, Raquel, we also talked a little bit about how Native Americans serve in the armed forces in huge numbers. And what would you like to see the Marine Corps and other branches of the service do to um, provide more support for these Native veterans who enlist in such large numbers? Yeah, I think it needs to be an education portion for the leadership in those um, services and branches to really know the history of Native Americans and what they've done for the country. You know, um, when you think about the history of Native Americans serving, we were serving before we were even considered citizens. I mean, to me, we were raising our hand to go and fight for for our land and our people. Um, And I think that needs to be stressed to the leadership and provide those resources once they are educated to make sure resources are available for Native service members. Like I said, um, all of our um, active duty are making sacrifices. You know, we sacrifice birthdays, anniversaries, birth of children. Um, But Native Americans, they're sacrificing their culture, and they shouldn't have to. Mm -hmm. And in your 26 years, Raquel, in the service, did you come across uh, many other Native men and women serving in the Marine Corps? You know, I, I ran into a, a couple Native um, men, but not so many women. But I think it's just because of um, there's just a small percentage of women serving in the Marine Corps. Um, but definitely when we ran across each other, you know, it was just like greeting a brother and a sister, a long lost brother, sister that we haven't seen. And that could have been the first time we met. Mm-hmm. And Bob Mm -hmm. Tilton, who's also on the line, uh, Vietnam Marine Corps veteran. Bob, do you remember serving with other Native uh, Marines in Vietnam? Oh, yeah, there were quite a few of us. In fact, um, being a Native, they they just assumed that we were, because we were hunters, that that we were good trackers, and they always put the Native guys on point so that they could spot booby traps and things of that nature. And a lot of us had to crawl into the tunnels, and we were kind of handpicked to do that because of our our native status. And mm-hmm. I, was, I was interested in what the caller just said about 
their museum. I didn't want to forget our museum at the lake. We had built a 20-foot tree and carved out sections in it. And on the very top, a eight-foot eagle. And that pole stands in our museum. And it, each section is a ribbon of the various wars, starting with the Indian Wars, the World War One, Two, et cetera, all the way down to the Asian Wars. And what we did is we hang dog tags with names, uh, what tribe and what war they served in, and people from everywhere come in and ask, fill out a form, and, and we honor the veterans by hanging dog tags on this veterans pole. And at the bottom of the pole, a famous saying by Father Dennis O'Brien of the U.S. Marine Corps, it's called a veteran's reminder. It's the veteran, not the reporter, who has given us freedom of the press. It's the veteran, not the poet, who has given us freedom of speech. It's the veteran, not the campus organizer, who has given us the freedom to demonstrate. It's the veteran, not the lawyer, who has given us the right to fair trial. And finally, it's the veterans and soldiers who salute the flag, serve under the flag, and whose coffin is draped by the flag, who give the protester the right to burn the flag. So we honor our veterans in a special way in our museum also. Appreciate it, Bob. And Raquel, back to you. Now, what I find really fascinating about your career, you spent 26 years in the Marine Corps, so it was a career for you. You spent, you know, almost three decades. And, and now when, when you look back, because I know you retired in 2016, and, you know, you could have gone different routes. You could have gone just to a regular college and been a civilian and, and maybe gone to work in corporate America or worked for tribal government, but you chose serving in the U.S. military. And uh, looking back, reflecting now, do you think you, just professionally, do you think you had good opportunities? And do you think it was just a good career choice overall for you? It most definitely was. I think it was something that I wanted at a very young age, and it was just a good fit for me. I love the challenge of being a Marine. I love the travel and the different places we've been. I love the people that I was able to meet. It was so uh, diversity in the Marine Corps. You know, you met people from all over the world that are um, serving our country, and these are people, you know, during my time that um, voluntarily came into the military. These are people, our young Americans that are raising their hands saying, I'm willing to sacrifice my life for another. And there's no other group I'd want to be around than that group right there. And for any Native people listening to the show right now, maybe interested in enlisting themselves and serving in the military, uh What's your advice? What, what kind of people do you think are a good fit for the military, Raquel? You know what? I think um, anyone is a good fit for the military. You got to have um, the heart for service and most definitely um, discipline. You got to be able to follow before you can lead. But they're definitely going to make a leader out of you. That's for sure. And in those 26 years you served, did you ever have any doubts? Did you ever think, oh, geez, I'm just, 
this is it. I'm done. I just can't, <laughs> I can't do this anymore. Or were you, were you dedicated that entire time? Nope. You know what? There are days where I was like, I just can't do this anymore. <laughs> you know, your, your body ages, your mind, um, you know, um, matures and wants to do other things. But um, I definitely stayed with it and I'm glad that I did. Um, it definitely provides now, especially a retirement check for me every month and my family's taken care of medically. So that there is a huge benefit. Um, and I just think everybody needs to take a look at what's going on in their lives at that moment and what's best for you and your family. And in my case, mine was to stay in and serve. And what are some countries that you had a chance to visit uh, while serving in the Marines? Oh, my gosh. I was fortunate enough to um, – obviously, I went to Iraq. I led a company in, in Iraq. I led a battalion in Afghanistan. Um, both of those were combat. I went to um, Sri Lanka when they had the tsunami in 2005, so I did recovery efforts there. I was stationed in Japan, um, mainland, and Okinawa. I went to Korea, Thailand. Um, so just a range of places. I served on the, the MEW, which is the um, Marine Expeditionary Unit aboard um, a ship. Um, so I got a lot of experiences. Um, I was actually in Oklahoma City. I was stationed there, so I was glad to hear the, the lady from Oklahoma. They definitely got a lot of Native tribes there. But I was stationed there when um, the mural building was bombed in, um, geez, when was that, 1995? Mid-90s. When that happened, I was stationed in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. right, right. Yeah, so a lot of experiences. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I bet pretty much just globetrotting. Wow, wow. Fascinating, fascinating conversation. We are out of time now, but appreciate our guests who joined the show today. Truckee Bob Tilton, Eloise Brown, Marianne Parker, and Raquel Painter. And to all of our Native veterans, we thank you for your service. Join us next week for another lineup of conversations about Indigenous issues and topics. Our executive producer is Art Hughes. Our producers are Andy Murphy and Sol Traverso. Marino Spencer is the engineer. Show McPolin is the digital producer. Nola Daves-Moses is the distribution director. Bob Peterson is the network manager for Native Voice One. Clifton Chadwick is our national underwriting sales director. Antonia Gonzalez is the anchor for National Native News. Charles Sather is our chief operations officer. The president and CEO of Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation is Jacqueline Salee. I'm Sean Spruce. Have a safe weekend. More tribes are using drones from Cayuse Native Solutions to economically collect data for disaster response, aerial inspections, and more. More about drone services available at CayuseNativeSolutions.com who support this show. Native American-made gifts at Ho-Chunk Inc.'s Sweetgrass Trading Co. include food, beauty, and wellness items from across Turtle Island. Christmas delivery available for orders placed by December 18th at SweetgrassTradingCo.com. Ho-Chunk Inc. supports this show. Medicare <laughs> no
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.